0: Well, good morning, ABC Church. Thank you so much for joining us online for our service. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh McEwen. I'm one of our youth pastors here.
1: And my name is Kelsey Iverson, and I'm our youth coordinator.
0: Yeah, and we have a ton of things happening here at ABC. First off, we got on Friday, April 28th, from 6 to 7 p.m., another worship night, where we just get to be able to express our awe and wonder uh, towards God through the act of worship. And that, again, will be April 28th from 6 to 7 p.m.
1: And then just the following day, Saturday, April 29th, we are going to be hosting a women's conference called Cultivate. It's going to be from 3 to 8 p.m. here on campus. You can sign up on the women's ministry page of our website, and we'd love to see you there, all of you women.
0: And as always, the youth ministry is up to something. This last Sunday, we just completed our serve experience called Slow Serve.
1: We encourage our middle school and high school students to take the last half of their spring break and give back to their community through service, whether that be at elderly homes in our community, at their schools even, and different nonprofit organizations and find ways to give back.
0: Yeah, kids truly learn how to put people over projects and to love sacrificially in the way of Jesus.
1: Yeah, so take a look at this video that we're going to play to just get an inside look into what the weekend of Slow Serve looked like.
0: Our students live in a day and age of digital distractions. Our heart and goal behind Slow Serve is to take away those digital distractions, take away the business of life, and put kids in a place where their attention isn't really focused on themselves, but an outward focus on others. Sure, you've been around youth for a while, you know like, hey, like, our goal is to be like Christ and to share Christ with the world and to like, tell others about him and be a witness. And Paul's saying, hey, do that. But how do you do that? Like, By being selfless. He's like, do what Christ did, right? Christ humbled himself. We know that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but did he walk around saying, hey, I'm God and you have to listen to me? No, right? Like he, he, he wooed people over through service.
1: Hi, I'm Julia, and today I went to the printery and I helped with gardening and stuff like that. And then I went to this girl's house. um, Her name was Georgia Ann, and she was really nice. And I helped her with breaking sticks and stacking them. And I learned a lot about her. Getting away from kind of like everyday life and just like helping people that you don't even know is like way better than what it may seem. And it can like change your life people's stories and stuff like that. thing I can take away from this experience is helping out the older generation. Today we got to go to Barbara's house and pick some weeds and she, it was super cool to see how thankful she was to see our youth helping out in her community. The thing that I like took away the most it was when we were helping this lady Heather and she just wanted us to move a bunch of weeds and cut grass and stuff and like just even like pulling some leaves out of her like plants made her so happy and she was just like wow like nobody's ever done that for me before and like One of my main takeaways from that was probably just like, man, God can like make people so happy just by taking literally leaves out of someone else's plants. And I just love Slow Serve because it always lets me do things for people and I love doing that. We hope you enjoyed that video. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. We hope you have a great week and a happy Sunday.
2: Peace. Hi, ABC family. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And as we get going, I just want to remind you that my name is Gerald. I am the discipleship pastor here at ABC Church, and it's a joy to get to serve in this capacity. And at the beginning of today's message, I just want to highlight for you one of our discipleship programs that we have going. Are you aware that we have a discipleship residency program? Some of you may have heard of it under the acronym CLP, which stands for Church Leadership Project. Others of you may just know it as an internship. But what it is, is it's a residential discipleship program offered for people who are young adults, ages 18 to 24, so recent high school graduates up in through some who are, you know, still working their way through college. And the question is why? Why would we offer a residential discipleship program like that? And the answer is, is because tomorrow's church leaders are vulnerable. Uh, depending on what resource you look at, up to 70% of high school youth who profess Christ as Lord and Savior end up leaving the church, and they begin to leave the church when they graduate high school. And the biblical answer to this problem is discipleship. So we've got this intentional discipleship residency program, and that is designed to minister to these folks and to build them up. So the mission just like our church mission is to equip people to become more like jesus the mission of the discipleship residency is to equip young adults to become more like jesus because our vision is that as we do this as we disciple these young adults we will see the global church thrive toward the completion of the great commission in other words we will see jesus words his charge to his church go and make disciples of all nations, we will see that happen as every individual part of the body is working properly when these young adults are serving according to their gifts. And so that's how we've designed this program. It's a 10-month residency where the people that opt in on this program and are accepted into it live across the street from the church in one of our apartments. So there's a residential community aspect where we're teaching them to live with people who are not family in loving community. We also pour into them uh, in a one-on-one discipling relationship where they learn the value of relational discipleship. These one-on-one relationships, they spend time in the word and in prayer and in other spiritual disciplines, fostering in their heart um, a desire to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We pour into them with practical theology, teaching them to to learn how to read and understand and obey scripture and to use scripture in their decision-making process in life. We also help them along with some vocational discernment. We, We help them through assessments and conversations understand how God has made them, how are they gifted in a manifestation of the Spirit. Like what are their spiritual gifts and how can those gifts be used as a blessing in the church? In addition to that, we'll help them explore vocational options, Uh, looking at their aptitudes, looking at their interests and, and dreaming and scheming together how God might want to use them as a unique individual empowered by the Spirit to serve in the church and see the kingdom of God thrive regardless of what vocation they choose. In other words, they don't have to be a vocational minister in order to minister powerfully and meaningfully in God's church. So perhaps you know somebody who's 18 to 24 years old and could benefit from participating in this program. Um, some of the details you might want to know is for $300 a month, that's the program cost. That gets rent in an apartment across the street, pays for all utilities and all program costs. And the program runs August through May, so it roughly runs concurrently with like an academic year. And these participants in this program may even be doing some online community college at the same time. There's, There's certainly opportunities for that. And maybe some of you, after hearing this description, are feeling the Spirit tug on your heart. Maybe you want to serve as one of our vocational mentors for these students and and bring them with you into your business or into your vocation. Have them shadow you in an internship program and have the opportunity to pour into them and help develop them as a disciple of Christ. That would certainly be a strategic kingdom assignment. And speaking of building God's kingdom, today we continue to preach our way through the book of Matthew, preaching through chapter 13, and if you tuned in with us last week, you heard Pastor Jeff teach the the first of eight parables in Matthew chapter 13. That was the parable of the sower, and the key question that he left us with is, have I received the seed of the kingdom in my heart? What is the condition of my heart? is it hard does it have cracks in it or has it been tilled has it been cultivated is it a fertile seed bed for receiving the seed of the word so these remaining seven parables here in matthew chapter 13 all pertain to the kingdom of god and we will begin to see and ask as we read and study our way through these parables is it possible for me to become a sower of the seed of the kingdom So we will turn to um, Matthew chapter 13. Please turn with me there in your Bibles. And as we do, let's define this idea called the kingdom of heaven. First thing I want you to know is that it is synonymous with the kingdom of God. So as you read your way through scripture and you come upon these terms, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're the same thing. Now, how do we define it? If we define the kingdom of heaven, we can define it as the sovereign, redemptive rule of God through Jesus. The sovereign, redemptive rule of God through Jesus. So it's this kingly rule that God is exercising over his creation, that includes us, through the person and the work of Jesus. This kingdom is an already kingdom, meaning it is here in the heart and the mind of every spirit-filled believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it's not yet because Jesus is not yet the political leader of the whole world, right? So it's an already kingdom and a not yet kingdom. But it is everywhere God's people are and everywhere that God is sovereign over which includes everything that he has spoken into existence so let's test out this definition think back to matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 where jesus gives us the lord's prayer he says therefore pray like this our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done so when he says your kingdom come he's saying may your sovereign redemptive rule come through jesus another way we can test that out in matthew chapter 12 verse 28 jesus says but if i cast out demons by the spirit of god then the kingdom of god has come upon you what he's saying there is if i cast out demons by the spirit of god then the sovereign redemptive rule of god has come upon you in me so those are some test cases for how we define the kingdom of heaven. It's the sovereign redemptive rule of God through Jesus. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll begin reading at verse 24. We will read through the end of the chapter. And before we read, let me pray. Father, we come to you now and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that same spirit that inspired Matthew to record these events and these words from Jesus' life, and preserve them over thousands of years. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would tune our ears to these words now and that you would guide us into the truth. Have your way today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the kingdom plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went to the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The parable of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So there we have it, seven additional parables about the kingdom of heaven spoken by Jesus to the crowds and to his disciples. So how do we take all of this and make some sense out of it? As I was studying, I came across uh, one scholar. His name is David Wenham. And he came up with a chiastic structure that is found in the 13th chapter of Matthew. So a chiasm or a chiasm is a literary device that authors will use to present ideas. A simple form would be this. So the idea is the ideas are presented and then repeated in reverse order. So one simple one would be when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You may have heard that, right? So the going gets tough, the tough get going. Reverse order. Jesus even used this when he taught about the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's a a chiastic structure. Um, Chi or chi is the Greek letter that is equivalent to our X. It's shaped like this, right? And so when you bring up um, an outline of Matthew chapter 13, we can present it this way. There's a graphic that you can look at. And you'll notice that there is an X. And at the top of the X, we have the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 9. And that is parallel with the parable of the scribe in verse 52. Both are parables, the top one on those who hear the word of the kingdom, and the scribe on, is a parable on those trained for the kingdom. The next idea presented is that there's a question and an answer. In verses 10 through 23, we have the disciples questioning Jesus saying, why do you preach in, in parables? And then Jesus provides them with an answer that includes an explanation of the parable of the sower. Parallel with that, down in verse 51, Jesus asks his disciples a question, do you understand these things? And they provide him with an answer. Next idea presented is uh, the parable of the weeds in verses 24 through 30. This is a parable of the kingdom that presents good and evil. At the end of the age, the good is separated from the evil. Parallel with that is the idea represented in the parable of the dragnet, which is also a parable of the kingdom where good is separated from evil. Inside of that, we have two additional parables on the top half, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven. These two parables answer the question, how does the kingdom grow? And parallel with them are the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl that answer the question, what's the kingdom worth? And right in the middle of that X is this passage where Jesus explains the parable of the weeds to his disciples. That's verses 36 through 43. That one does not have a parallel to it. It's in there intentionally, and when authors do that in a chiastic structure, they're drawing an emphasis on this. So let's start there. Let's start with that X. Let's start with the crux. Let's start by drilling in on what Jesus is intending to teach his disciples through the explanation of the parable of the weeds. And notice on this graphic, too, the top half is... Jesus addressing these things in parables to the crowd, and starting here at this passage in verse 36, now the crowd, they have gone away from the crowd, and Jesus is addressing these ideas purely to his disciples. So let's look again at verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And here Jesus is explaining who the characters are in this parable, right? He's highlighting that the son of man is the one who is sowing the good seed and that the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. He's telling them that the field is the world. It's not a good place, not a bad place. It's just a place where these plants grow. In other words, it's not the church, it's the world in general. And he also lets us know that it is the devil who sows the weeds and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So in this explanation of the parable of the weeds, Jesus is revealing to us a sobering sequence of events. And we continue to read that in the original parable in verse 26, where Jesus says, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How, then, does it have weeds? So it's not apparent immediately as the wheat grows that it is pure or impure. It's only when the wheat begins to mature that the weeds become evident as well. So there's a period of time here where the wheat and the weeds are growing simultaneously in the field together. Does that sound familiar? It's a period of time where the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one are existing at the same time think about our local schools we have young people who are disrespectful arrogant destructive seeking to escape the pressures of life some of them are strung out on drugs and in that same school in that same environment in that same field if you will we have students who are on mission with jesus and who are seeking to shine the light of christ into that the darkest of places our local schools are a microcosm of the world in which we're living. And some of you really know the pain that exists in living in a world where you, as trying to follow Jesus, are coming and butting heads with evil people. And we can call out and say, Lord, when will you take them out? Lord, how long? And Jesus says this. He says, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. That's verse 30. And here we get a glimpse for the first time that there is an expiration date on this season of suffering in which we're living. There will be an end to this battle between good and evil. And that time ends at what Jesus calls in this parable, the harvest. Note that we're not told when this harvest will come about. That's not Jesus' point, it's not about the timing, but he wants us to know that a harvest is coming and that it is coming soon. It will come at the appropriate time. It will come in its season. And in that time, the Son of Man will send his reapers, verse 41, and the weeds will be rooted, uprooted. These weeds represent the causes of sin and the lawbreakers. They will be gathered first and they will be burned in a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth." And that brings to mind what John the Baptist had to say in Matthew chapter 3. He was talking about the coming of Jesus, the one whose sandals he was not worthy to tie, and he said, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in that time, the wheat would be gathered into the barn, but the chaff and the weeds would be burnt with an unquenchable fire. These chaff and these weeds represent the the sons of the evil one, the people who are not in the kingdom of God, and they will burn in that unquenchable fire. But the wheat, the children of the kingdom, they'll be gathered into the barn, into the blissful presence of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the blissful presence of their king. These are those who have put their faith 100% in the person and the work of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says in this parable that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And what is going to happen here at the, at the harvest? Jesus is saying that these, these causes of sin are going to be removed and they're going to be burned. So that the resulting wheat the resulting sons of the kingdom will shine we will reflect the glory of our heavenly father and it will be a beautiful beautiful experience and that's the sobering sequence of events that jesus is using a parable to explain to his disciples and it's noteworthy that parables are designed to bring us to a decision there's a scholar named Klein Snodgrass, and he says this, he says, parables are not intended to satisfy curiosity. They're intended to alter life in the present. In other words, these truths that are coming to us in parable form are really designed to almost slap us in the face and wake us up and call us to a point of decision. These kingdom of heaven truths are presented in parable form to help us comprehend something that we otherwise just can't wrap our minds around. They use very familiar terminology and concepts to to help us understand these kingdom realities that we just can't wrap our mind around. The wheat and the weeds and the routine of a harvest process are designed to clearly communicate these truths about the kingdom to farmers. And there were many farmers that jesus was speaking to and the gathering of all kinds of fish with a dragnet and then the the routine sorting on the beach of the good fish from the bad fish would communicate these kingdom of heaven truths to the fishermen many of which were in jesus audience and in his disciple group and it's because a day of judgment is coming at the end of the age Because that judgment will assign me into one of two places. Either I will burn with the weeds or I will be brought into the barn with the wheat. And knowing that this reality is coming soon, I am motivated to live today in a way that avoids the burn. The bad news of the gospel is that there is a fire coming, the fire of judgment. And we are all born on a path that leads toward that fire. We're born in sin and the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news folks, the day of judgment, the day which the weeds will burn and the wheat will be brought into the barn is still to come. There's still time. Our prodigal father is still in the business of welcoming rebellious sons back home. He's still in the business of doing the miraculous and turning weeds into wheat through faith in the person and the work of Jesus. To quote Pastor Jake as he preached Matthew chapter three, the barn doors are wide open. We can come into that barn by placing our faith in Jesus. And as we consider that that decision, Jesus tells us to count the cost. And we began to explore and to ask what it might look like for us to, to make a decision to follow Jesus, to become one of the good seeds by faith, to become a son of the kingdom. And we ask ourselves, what's it going to cost me? What is the kingdom worth? Which brings us up to verses 44 and 45, which say this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here in these two simple parables, Jesus is informing us that the kingdom of heaven has an infinite value. Like buried treasure, it's worth selling all that you have in order to get it. Maybe you've heard of the pink panther diamond. There's a ridiculous movie about it, but this diamond is a, some 60 carat diamond. It's huge. It's heavy. It's got a rose color to it, so they call it the Pink Panther. And in today's dollars, it's valued at around a billion, yes, one billion dollars. Now imagine, you are in the Central Coast and you are looking for a piece of undeveloped property, perhaps out near Creston. You're walking through this bare pasture and you're looking at this piece of ground that is for sale, thinking that you might want to build a house on it and you walk around and explore and you come to the top of a hill and you notice an oak tree and you look down near the base of that oak and you find a box or you step on a box and you dig around a little bit and you find this diamond, the pink panther, there in that box, what would you do? Wouldn't you put the box back down, cover a little dirt and do anything that you could in order to buy that little undeveloped patch of ground so that you became the rightful owner, whatever it was that you had to give up in order to obtain that piece of land and that billion-dollar diamond, you would do so joyfully. Now, some of you real estate agents out there are saying, no, that has to be in the disclosures. That's not what Jesus says. (laughs) He says you hide that thing and you go back and you give whatever it takes to become an owner of that. That is the infinite value of the kingdom of heaven. Entering the kingdom is worth whatever you will have to lay down in order to purchase it. And Jesus will go on in Matthew chapter 16 to help us understand that it will require everything that we have in order to obtain it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says we have to deny ourselves. So contrary to what the world is, is impounding into our heads, what Jesus is saying is not you do you. He is not saying you live your truth. Jesus is not saying be true to yourself, but instead he is saying it's gonna cost you everything. He's not saying, this is a free country and you're free to do whatever you want to do. He says, you must deny yourself. Because at our core, apart from Jesus, we are all firmly planted on the throne of our own hearts and we're ready to fight anybody who might threaten to take that place on the throne of our lives. We are his enemies who oppose the idea of submitting our lives under the kingly rule of anyone, even the God of the universe, just like these scribes and Pharisees here in Matthew. What's more, Jesus says you, you deny yourself, but you got to take up your cross. So just like many, many criminals have had to carry their cross down the road to the place where they would ultimately give their earthly life, What Jesus is saying is we deny ourselves and we must be willing to lay down our life in order to follow him. Which is what he says, we are to follow him. And he is the one who has lived a life of example as the suffering servant, as described in Isaiah 53. It's to a life of servanthood that Jesus calls us as we live as one of his disciples. Paul talked about this cost in Philippians chapter 3. We'll pick it up at verse seven. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Paul, knowing Jesus as his Lord was worth more than anything else. He counted it all as rubbish, all as loss. The cost is high and what Paul is saying is it is more than worth it. That's the infinite Value of the sovereign redemptive rule of God through Jesus Christ It's worth anything and everything that you have to pay for it And the question we need to ask one another is Am I a wheat or am I a weed? In other words, what's my destiny? At that day, at that harvest Will I be brought into the barn with my Lord and Savior Or will I be brought to the fire in order to burn? And this is the decision that we all have right now. I'm guessing that most of you tuning into a church sermon are probably wheat who are moving toward a harvest and will be brought into the barn. But I'm also guessing that some of us viewing maybe aren't we may be still in our rebellion, we may still be seated firmly on the throne of our own lives. And the invitation today is for you to recognize that as you sit on the throne of your own life, you are moving toward the fire. And today is an opportunity for you to get off that throne and invite Jesus to be your king, to enter into the kingdom of heaven and to live under the sovereign, benevolent, redemptive rule of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that can be something as simple as praying a prayer like this one. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. According to this parable, I'm a weed. And I ask you forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life, laid that life down on Calvary's cross and purchased freedom from my sin with your precious blood. You rose again and are seated at the right hand of the Father. And I trust you as my righteousness. I ask you forgiveness. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would lead me through life. I ask that you would be my king and that you would bring me into the barn. I pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. So now, as a son of the kingdom, I'm good, right? I mean, I just go on living my life. What's next? And that brings us to verse 52, which shows us the simple growth plan for the kingdom of heaven. Verse 51, Jesus says, have you understood these things? Asking his disciples and they said, yes. So in light of their answer saying yes, he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Every scribe that is trained for the kingdom of heaven is his words. Now, the Greek word that's been translated as trained here can also be translated as instructed or discipled. So every scribe that's been discipled in the kingdom of heaven, these are the sons of the kingdom, right? These are the ones that have been discipled for the kingdom. And he calls them a scribe. In other words, what one commentator says about this is that everybody in the kingdom of God becomes an authorized teacher for the kingdom of heaven. So being in Christ means that now you are empowered as a scribe, as one who is authorized to teach the ideas of the kingdom of heaven. Notice he says it's, this, these scribes are like a master of a house. Master of a house. We've heard that before. In the parable of the weeds, it was the master of the house who was asked, didn't you sow good seed in your field? So one thing that we learn from chapter 13 of Matthew is that the master of the house also owns a field and he uses that field to feed the people in his house. And he, as he does that, he's one who sows seed in his field. Think an entrepreneur, a, bu- a business owner who does whatever it takes to feed the people who have been entrusted into his care. At the very least, we see that a master of a house is one who sows seed in a field." He goes on to say, you bring forth treasure, out of your treasure what is new and what is old. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus has just convinced us that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, right? And what Jesus is saying here is that we who are in the kingdom have this treasure of the kingdom and we bring out of our treasure what is new and what is old. So the scribe that's been trained or discipled in the kingdom of heaven brings new things and old things out of the theology of the kingdom. We understand the Old Testament law. We understand what the prophets had to say about this coming Messiah. We also understand the new teaching that Jesus is now bringing to the people that we've just been studying today. And we understand that Jesus is not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And it's this, out of this treasure that we bring old things and new things. The Greek word here that, that brings out is ekbalo. That means from ek and balo to to throw. So it's like throwing things out, which is a good description of what it looks like to sow a field by hand. You grab seed out of the bag and you throw it out, and it's out of this treasure of of the kingdom that we grab old things and new things, and we throw it out. Sounds like people, how they would sow seed back in the day. Now, let's look again at this chiastic structure of Matthew chapter 13. And we see that this parable of the scribe in verse 52 is in parallel position with the, with the parable of the sower in verse 1. The sower is one who casts out seed as she walks through the field. That's an essential element of kingdom growth. We have a sower and we have seed. The scribe is one who's discipled in the kingdom and they walk through the field of the world and as they go about, she sows seed wherever she goes. She sows seed in her home with her family, with her husband, with her children. She sows seed in the workplace amongst her coworkers and and with her boss or with her subordinates. She sows seed when she's at the market shopping for her family. She sows seed while she's in her hub group leading junior hires or high schoolers. She sows seed while she's at book club. And she knows that some seed is gonna fall on the path. Some is gonna fall among rocks, others among thorns, but she knows that some will fall on the good soil. And she can't tell which is which at the time. But she continues to bring out seed from her treasure and to sow it as she goes through life. She sows, believing that the kingdom starts small and in rather normal-looking places. Listen to verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field it's the smallest of all seeds but when it has grown it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches when we sow seeds of the kingdom it starts small it's a small seed and it grows large think about it Jesus is pouring into 12 disciples So at his resurrection, there are 12 people with the seed of the kingdom in them who then begin to sow seeds. And today there is 2.4 billion disciples of Jesus in the world. In just 2,000 years, we've gone from 12 to 2.4 billion. The kingdom starts small, but it grows largely. And look at verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. A little bit of leaven hid in three measures of flour, and pretty soon it has permeated the entire three measures. A small amount affects everything that it touches. The kingdom affects everything in its proximity. So here we are. Those are the truths that Jesus wanted us to understand. There's a harvest coming and we need to be ready. And as the good seed, as those who have heard and received and responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become sowers and we can take that seed and sow it wherever we go. We become the authorized teachers of the kingdom and we take this seed, this word of the kingdom of heaven, and we sow it generously. We sow it in homes, we sow it in the church, we sow it in our small group, we sow it in our one-on-one discipling relationships, and perhaps we sow it as vocational mentors in our intentional discipleship residency program. I don't know what the Spirit wants to convict you of this morning, how He wants you to be sowing seeds, but let's pray and let's ask Him to lead us as we do this. Father, we come to you now having been convinced that a harvest is coming and having been convinced that you have called and equipped every one of us to be sowers of your word. So would you show us what it looks like to be faithful sowers, faithful stewards of the word of the kingdom? And would you, by your Holy Spirit, empower us with boldness and generosity to sow seed wherever we go? And would you cause by that same Spirit's power, many of those seeds to spring forth into life. Would you cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? We pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your ultimate glory, amen. Well, church, thanks for tuning in. We're so grateful to have you and we pray that you would have great joy as you sow seed this week. We'll see you next time.